With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Britt Giroli from The Athletic joining us. Britt, great to see you. Happy trade deadline day. About an hour, 20 minutes away <laughs> from destroying the Orioles. But first, I want to start with Max. So what do you think of the Scherzer trade and these comments that we're seeing? And obviously also just mixing in the Mets plans and sudden pivot. Yeah. So I was listening to what you were saying off the air, Scott. And to me, it it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I mean, yes, you'd want Max off the books, but trading Justin Verlander to me signals that this isn't like a retooling, which is what Billy Epler told the media the other day. This is kind of a rebuild, especially if they're listening on guys like Pete Alonzo. And I know there's a lot going on with, with Pete Alonzo right now because he's another guy that at least is gauging interest on the trade market. I think it would take a big haul for the Mets to be willing to move him. But let's think about it. You know, they already moved Mark Khanna. They already moved Max Scherzer. They already moved Justin Verlander. We know they're going to move Tommy Pham in the next, what, hour, 20 minutes here as we sit here. So if this is not a rebuild or at least a mini rebuild, what is it, right? And I think Scherzer's comments made it pretty clear. And I'm guessing that's what they said to Justin Verlander too. Like, hey, we're not going to be good next year or we're not going to go all in next year. And so Verlander said, all right, then I'll go to Houston. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to get these two guys who committed to the Mets, who committed to winning a championship with the Mets. They wouldn't have gotten either one of these guys to change their plans if that wasn't, in fact, the case for next year. Do you think they lied? Scott was insinuating <laughs> that they lied to get this thing done. And and women are the best best ones to figure out who's lying and who's not. Us guys, we're not, we're not good at figuring out who's liars. We just think everybody's a liar. Like, I think Todd's lying right now. He's not even saying it. <laughs> I mean, look, there's lots of lies going on. I, I don't even want to think about how many people probably lied to me today alone, the trade deadline, uh, in terms of rumors and what's happening. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I do think that Max says in this great article by Ken Rosenthal that not only did he talk to Billy Epler, who could have lied, but he talked to Steve Cohen. So you're saying that both of these guys are now lying about the future direction of the organization, and they turn around and sell more players that are signed after this year. So it doesn't really make sense if they were going to lie and only move max. Yeah, maybe, but to then move Justin Verlander, if you're going to be good next year, what's the point of moving Justin Verlander? I don't understand. Well, I just want to make sure, you know, we are not lying to you here. Okay. This is a safe place. (laughs) Me, Todd, Scott Braun. Although I will say this, okay, and this is not a lie. I would say this is almost a guarantee. Billy Epler will not be leading the front (laughs) office for the Mets next year. I'm not even saying that he's necessarily being let go, but he will not be at the top of the front office. He will not be the decision maker. He will be – there will be someone above him, and whether they let him go or say, hey, would you like to work for someone, I promise you he will not be leading the front office by the wintertime. Agreed. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. David Stearns, are you listening? Yes. <laughs> Bob Nightingale yesterday came on our show and basically guaranteed that David Stearns was going to be running the team. And he actually did think that they were going to basically scrap it all down and then start over again, which I disagree with. I, I don't think you can sell that so quickly where you're like, we're here. We're going to be competitive every year. Screw the will ponds. Finally, Mets fans are going to get treated well. I don't think they're going to reverse course like that. Like for me, for example, 
So in the offseason, let's say they sign Aaron Nola, right? We're just using him as a good example here. So a good free agent pitcher who's much younger than Verlander and Scherzer. If they sign him to a five or six year deal. Do do Max or JV think that they screwed him? Or if I'm the Mets, I go, yeah, that's thinking about 25 and 26. We signed a guy for six years who who's way younger than you guys. Yeah, I mean, they could do that. The, the X factor here is Otani. How are they going to do this at the deadline <laughs> and then say to Shohei Otani, hey, we're going to win. Come pick us. Choose us, right? Um, I, I think that this kind of shoots them in the foot to some extent over Otani because he wants to go somewhere where he knows he's going to win. And you can't really sell him on an organization that is kind of in the middle of something. Even if they get David Stearns, like you said, and I agree with Bob, I think if David Stearns comes, you're going to see a more slow, painful process than people wanted. But if they're really going to emulate the Dodgers, at least from a prospect perspective, then they have to kind of take a little bit of a slower route. So I still think they're going to, they're not going to be the Orioles next year, the Orioles of two or three years ago, right? They're not going to be the Kansas City Royals. They're going to be a mostly competitive team, but with where they're at right now, it's selling off all these players. I wouldn't be surprised if there are big changes in the front office. I wouldn't be surprised if you look at, you know, Buck Walters' future. They are not going all in for 2024. That much is clear. So could they sign a NOLA? Sure, but it still doesn't guarantee them. Like you put Aaron Nola on their team, it still doesn't make them a World Series contender. Everything fell apart, and it reminds me of the Padres. Remember, like, I don't know how many years ago this was now, but they spent all this money, and they were going to be like, yeah, we're going to be good again. And then they very quickly, things went south, and they sold it off for spare parts. This is very similar to that. The Padres, by the way, about a week away from being that in the same situation, but obviously they're not. They are kind of these small um, small buyers as we go through this. You know, they're still looking at another starter, maybe a reliever as we talk right now before the deadline but you know the Mets are in a precarious spot I kind of give them a lot of credit for being able to sell off all these guys it's a tough sell to say to your fan base like hey we're gonna win you know we're the it's not lol Mets anymore and then a few months later it is lol Mets because everybody is leaving and now you're telling fans to be patient again when they were so jacked up for this season yeah I I think that is the lol Mets is hilarious to me my question (laughs) is to you and maybe this is too far reaching. Is it almost like Cohen didn't know what he was getting into buying a major league baseball team? A thousand percent. It's great. I haven't seen too many people bring that up, but I think, you know, this isn't the financial world, right? This isn't something that he had a whole lot of experience with. We know he was a big fan of baseball, um, you know, in reading a bunch of books about him. And he's been a Mets fan all his life. I don't doubt that he watched a lot of baseball, but talk to people in front offices. It is nothing Like running a team is nothing like being a fan. So I think he didn't know how long this process was going to be. He certainly didn't know when he went out there and guaranteed that they were going to win a championship in the next three to five years, right? Next year is year three, is it not? So we are getting into precarious territory. I think he realized you can't just buy a title. That doesn't work. As much as fans of all these markets complain when their teams don't spend money or, or with what Steve Cohen was doing, no one's complaining about what Steve Cohen is doing now. So I do think it's tougher. I do think that they lacked a lot of the pieces in place when it came to the baseball operations department to really have a formidable organization. They're still a year or two away from having that minor league system, from having that pipeline. And yeah, it's not an easy fix. I mean, the Wilpons didn't do a whole lot of good. It's going to take a while to undo a lot of the, the things that they did and to fix a lot of the areas of need. So they built this big shiny house on top of no foundation. And now it's just like kind of sinking unfortunately. 
What an analogy for us. Yeah. Thank you, Britt. You just, you just I, moved. We bought a house. Year, so yes, you know yeah, all about exactly. houses. There's all these problems. The foundation is fine, but it just reminds me of that, okay, right? Good. Like it's definitely <laughs> asking price is like just the starter price, right? It's like, oh, you got to do this to the roof. You got to do this in the attic. And you're like, this brings me no joy. I just want to buy an expensive couch. Um, you know, And there's so. a leak too after all said and done and you got to fix that. Yeah, you trade the leak exactly. for prospects. Trade the leak for prospects. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'll give you some fresh news here. So Jeff Passan said the Dodgers and Tigers had a trade in place for Eduardo Rodriguez. This just came out. But Erod invoked his 10 team no trade clause that included the Dodgers. And the deal is now dead. He doesn't want to go to the pitching machine. Yes, I had heard that, uh, but didn't have a, enough to, to go with it. It's such an interesting thing, though, and it kind of puts the kibosh, in my opinion, on trading Erod. When you hear that, what do you, as a you know as a team that's potentially interested, what are you going to do there, right? Like if he doesn't want to go to a team to win, and and I I do think he's a guy who's more concerned with family circumstances, then you're not going to get anything for him. And I'm actually surprised that Passan got enough to go with it because you know I I feel like it's really bad that it leaked out for the Tigers who are no doubt trying to leverage the fact that the Dodgers were interested to maybe the teams that Erod felt comfortable going to. But again, because of that 10, that 10 teams that he can nix, I mean, who were these other 10 teams, right? Was he not comfortable going to any of these teams that were available? It doesn't seem like he's going to be moved at all, which is just crazy. I mean, if you look at the Tigers, in my opinion, they really had a hand in kind of shaping this whole trade deadline. Scott Harris hadn't made any moves up until today. They they trade Lorenzen to Philly, which was a little unexpected, not even rumored to be a whole lot of interest there leading up to the deal. And now it looks like Erod is probably not going to go anywhere. Or if he does go somewhere, they can't maximize the return because similar to the Verlander deal, they're kind of bottlenecked into what he prefers, right? Um, so, you know, this was a big deal for Scott Harris and the Tigers organization, this trade deadline, because the previous regime did such a bad job with the trades, and it just doesn't look like they're going to be able to maximize what they have. Do we know if Erod has the Orioles on his list? Because this could be the lifeboat. This could be the lifeboat. <laughs> the, Orioles, the Orioles are not getting Erod. I can tell you that with some good certainty. Uh, really? That's why I said, yeah. That's why I'm telling you, they're going to get a starting pitcher, but it's not going to be anyone you're going to be super excited about. Um, and so it's she just kind no of a splashes. mesh trade deadline. Mm. No splashes. No, no splashes, sorry. which has some like fun little to tiny, it. Little tiny, yes. uh, I don't know. What are like little splashes? I don't know. Pedal, uh, pubbles, not no. puddles. puddles, little puddle, <laughs> ripples, no ripple, ripples, a ripple, a little sprinkle of a, a puddle is like a yeah. sprinkle, isn't yeah. that what? Isn't that like a, a baby <laughs> sprinkle instead of a baby shower? Yeah, that's when you have a second. Oh, no. yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm All right, so, let's I mean, finish with the Nationals. You let me okay? know. You let me know when they get somebody, Scott. But I don't consider who they're looking at right now um, big name. Who they're like in big name. No, I know. I mean, people tried to float out, you know, like I, I feel like it was more, you know, random fan uh, blogs and rumor city like, oh, maybe they're talking to Dylan about Dylan Cease. I'm like, nah, I doubt it. Um, so let's finish with the Nationals. Um, I love listening to Mike Rizzo do interviews. I called out GMs on last one of last week's shows because I've listened to probably 20 out of 30 over the last couple of weeks. And most of them say 
this is what they say. I'll, I'll, I'll give them a moment of silence. They say nothing. They're so boring. They're so like Wall Street tight corporate about everything. So they're just like, we might do something. We might not. We'll see. Like they won't answer anything. Not all of them, but there are some yes. that are terrible, right? And we know you've, you've spoken to some of them. I'm not going to call their names out. I'm just going to point out people like Mike Rizzo, who's so direct. He's like, we're trading Candelario. We're talking to eight teams about him. We're yeah. probably going to trade this guy. We might not trade this guy. He went over Lane Thomas. So what, what do you think of what they've done and what you could see them doing and their direction in general? Like, I, I feel like they have a plan. I do think they have a plan, but unfortunately, Mike Rizzo is only signed through October. So it's really mm. tough to be a GM and to navigate the trade deadline, not knowing if you're going to be able to see things through. Um, Davey Martinez, their manager, in the same situation as well. But, you know, I think for Candelario, they set a high price early, you know, like a month ago, and teams kind of balked at it. And they continue to wait and wait, knowing that this was a really weak position player market. So they knew that they could end up getting something. And I think when you look at the return they got in getting two top 20 guys from the Cubs, you know, this isn't the Max Scherzer deal or the Juan Soto deal. They're not getting the upper echelon guys, but they're getting some nice depth here. And, you know, that was really probably their best piece. Lane Thomas would have been probably their best piece. He is not getting traded. He's a controllable piece. He's something that the Nationals felt like other teams wanted as a platoon and that they weren't going to get nearly as much as they felt like they valued him for. Uh, Kyle Finnegan is a name to watch here over the next hour. Hunter Harvey would have been, but he hurt himself. So he would have been kind of a late inning guy. He could potentially be a non-waiver trade after the deadline. Uh, but I think what you're going to see here as we get closer to that six o'clock, guys, is what somebody called the, the relievers flea market, which is true, right? You're just going to see all these teams unloading relievers uh, because we kind of are at the last second here. And pretty much every team that's contending wants to add a bullpen piece. So the Nationals are going to be involved in that as well. I do think they're in a, a better situation than they were even a year ago. Um, they do continue to kind of see those guys from the Scherzer and also the Soto trade, see them kind of continue to develop. They're in a pretty good situation. But again, it's going to come down to the front office. It's going to come down to ownership and whether or not they're going to sell the team. Because right now, you know, Mark Lerner is basically writing personal checks. The organization is bleeding money. I think they need to put the team up for sale. They need to sell that team and have some direction so that they know, okay, is Mike Rizzo leading us or is it somebody else? Okay, Mike, you have a two-year deal. Let's see what you do here, right? There's so much indecision at the top, that it just makes this sense of uneasiness. Every time I go to D.C., you just feel it, right? Nobody knows what's going on in the future, and it can be really hard to build a team around that. I think they've been trying to sell, too, and it's such a difficult buy for a billionaire because they don't understand that whole situation. I, I, I think that, and I say that with some education on the matter, just put it that way. I think, they, I think it's a really tough sell right now, Britt. Not that it's mm -hmm. a, a worthless team but they're tied into so much crap like what you're talking about. It's really difficult. And I don't think they've gotten a ton of help, right? Like two teams right. shouldn't have been fighting for for ages. I thought that if yes. you're within MLB, like they're supposed to settle it because they're they're I in know. the same business. It's crazy. I have long wondered like if it gets out of the courts, can Commissioner Manfred just make like a unilateral move and be like, yeah. oh, you know what? We're done with this now, right? Like once it gets out of the courts, 
Like, can't they just say like, hey, we're done with this. You have two separate networks. Because you're right, it's crushing the Nets sale value. They're also not a great buy because of all the money they owe guys like Scherzer and Steven Strasburg until the end of time. Um, so that's also <laughs> not great. All the deferred <laughs> money that the learners like to keep like deferring and deferring and deferring it. It's like, well, that bill's come and, come and due every year. And it's really crushing them. If you take that out of their payroll, their payroll is like Orioles size with the players who are actually playing right now. So there's a lot going on when it comes to selling the Nationals. but. I still think Ted Leonsis would buy it if he could use his own TV network. I think that is the number one thing that is standing in the way. Get it done, MLB. And and we need we need that, right? Their, their number one thing they keep talking about right now is like more availability, better content, all of that for fans. This sounds right up that alley right now. Britt, great to catch up with you. Happy uh, trade deadline day. I can't wait until I'm in my hot tub with a glass of wine tonight. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> let's go. All right, let's go over the prospect returns and these all these trades right now. Baseball America's J.J. Cooper, our friend, joining us. What a day, JJ. Hey, we haven't seen massive splashes left and right aside from Verlander, but we are seeing a ton of prospect movement. Drop so let, let us begin, though, with the headline, JJ. Justin Verlander today gets moved from the Mets to the Astros. The Mets are paying a ton of money down, but they do pick up two pretty good outfield prospects. So what do you think of that move and in general, what the Mets have done in terms of acquiring a lot of farm system talent? They're paying for a good farm system, which credit to them, credit to Steve Cohen for the fact that he's willing to basically say, I'm willing to send a lot of money with this to make sure that the return I get back is a solid return. It's probably the biggest return we've seen yet today. And if he was a an owner, if that was an organization that was unwilling to spend the money to buy off much of Verlander's remaining contract, the return probably would have been almost nothing. And so instead they get two of our top three Astros prospects. We don't have any of them at in the top 100 right now, but Drew Gilbert, Ryan Clifford are both guys who aren't far from the top 100. Gilbert is a center fielder who can really hit. There's some questions about his power, but he's going to hit. Clifford's a guy who, if it all breaks right, is going to be that, that corner outfield masher, that thumper, but he's a little further away. There's a little bit less athleticism there, but to get these guys as much as I love Justin Verlander to get these guys for Justin Verlander at age 40 with the remaining contract that he has left, not a bad pickup for the Mets. Hey Coop, what's going on, brother? Um, hello. <laughs> hello. Uh, my question to you is Acuna's brother, man. I didn't want to say the name mm -hmm. wrong, but Luis Angel. Luis Angel. Hey, what do you think of him for one? Does he have the future like his brother does? Or is he, you know, is he going to be that spark plug that the Mets need as he comes up through the ranks here? I don't think he'd be as good as his brother, but that's a pretty safe bet to make because that would make him, what, one of the three, four best players in all of uh, baseball. But <laughs> I think it's a trade that he immediately becomes one of the Mets' best infield prospects. Shortstop, maybe second base. Uh, you know, they'll figure that out. They've got him. They've got Ronnie Mauricio. They obviously have Francisco Lindor. So that versatility doesn't hurt there. But he was a top, you know, he was easily a top 100 prospect for us. I also see, though, where the Rangers... He wasn't fitting with the Rangers. The Rangers can can trade him because you can't even really map out a scenario where he was going to be part of that Rangers lineup anytime soon. Obviously, they have Seager. Obviously, they have Semyon. And on top of that, they've got Duran. They've got Josh Smith. It's kind of one of those things where Acuna immediately becomes one of the better uh, prospects in the Mets system, but he goes from an organization where he was blocked to an organization where there probably will be a pretty clear path 
to the big leagues in the not too distant future. Is Cohen overpaying for these for these prospects? Because we very rarely see a prospect with value attached to him, essentially buying down these guys' contracts so they can get them. Oh yeah. I mean, if you look at this, this is a thing where I'm sure that there are owners out there today who are pretty annoyed by this because this is an owner who will do things that they won't do. They will never be willing to eat a bad contract to better the return. The Mets are quite willing to do that. The Mets are basically saying, okay, in hindsight, we spent too much on Verlander. We spent too much on Scherzer. That's okay. We can buy ourselves out of the problem and actually benefit from it. You've seen these other trades. We've seen trades on these, you know, with players like these kind of contracts before, even good players, where the return essentially is, please just take the contract. There's always a player thrown in, but often that player thrown into someone who isn't even a, you know, a, a top, uh, isn't even a top 30 prospect sometimes, literally just for the chance to get rid of the contract. That's not the way Steve Cohen works. Credit to him. Like, it's going to speed up. This is a disaster of a season for the Mets, but it will speed up the opportunity for the Mets to get back from this disaster quicker because they're not just they're not just acquiring guys who are solid prospects. Gilbert's in double A, Acuna's in double A, Clifford's in, you know, in, in full season ball. These guys aren't years and years away. If the idea is turning it all around in 25, well, these are guys who, if they all click, they should be there by then. So if you were to take the haul that they got back and look at some of the mm-hmm. teams that haven't done anything, the Red Sox, the Orioles most likely is who were crushing mm-hmm. all, all day, do they have and what would they give up the prospects to have gotten these deals done? Oh, let's just say if the again, I don't know if uh, Verlander would have been willing to go to the Orioles, but the Orioles could have done yep. this kind of trade prospect-wise and it would have been giving away probably their six, seventh, six and seventh, seventh and eighth, eighth and ninth best prospects in the organization. That's how deep the Orioles farm system is. They it wouldn't have been giving up the Orioles' best players in their system. It wouldn't have been giving up the Orioles' second, their third best prospects in their system. The the Drew Gilberts, the Ryan Cliffords, those are good prospects, but those are guys who, if you put them in the Orioles system, they wouldn't crack the top six, six or seven. So it would have been easy for the Orioles prospect-wise to have done this with players who probably don't fit in their long-term plans. So we just saw um, Jake Eater to the White Sox for Jake Berger. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the Eater situation? How is he as a player? What do you think? So Eater coming out, he was one of those guys who was affected by the COVID year. He was a 2020 draftee and (coughs) didn't really get to show what he could do at Vanderbilt that year that much because the season got cut short. Credit to the Marlins. They were aggressive with the, with picking him and not just picking him, but then basically pushing him to double A right away. He was one of the breakout players in 2021. It looked like a guy who who might be able to help the big league uh, rotation by 22, but then he, had, then he had an elbow injury, Tommy John surgery. He's still working his way back from that. He is still a guy, I would say, at this moment, isn't 100% back to what he was pre-injury. But that said, we had him ranked as our number two prospect in the Marlins organization right now. And assuming that, again, he keeps shaking off the rust, it's not outlandish in any way. He's at double A already. He was at double A before the injury. He could be part of that. He could be in the competition to be part of the White Sox rotation in 20, you know, 
maybe the very end of this year, but really, especially 2024. And for a guy, again, I like Berger. I like the pickup for the Marlins. He's a good fit to kind of pair with Solaire as the power in what is really much more of a, a contact oriented lineup. But that's a pretty good return for, for the White Sox in my mind, because they're not talking about adding a guy who might fit in a bullpen someday or something. This is a guy who has a chance to start and also isn't five years away. It's a guy who, as he shakes off the rust, could be there next year. Are you worried about guys that are this tier of prospect, like you said, like a six to eight for the Orioles that are, you know, lower level prospects? Are you worried about them going to an organization like the White Sox who just routinely stink at player development? And is there another team that just doesn't do that? It doesn't even matter who they get. They just don't develop players. I think that you see examples. I, I can't. The, the example that comes to mind is, is you look at the trades that the Braves and the A's did a couple of years ago. And it's not that the A's can't develop any kind of players. They've developed some players, obviously, in recent years. But they took a Ryan Cusick, and I think that Ryan Cusick would have developed much better in the Braves organization, where they are a, a team that, that kind of really takes guys like that and tries to accentuate their, their strengths. I think that the A's kind of took a more traditional approach with Cusick where it's like, okay, we're going to, you're going to broaden your repertoire and it, it hasn't worked with him. It hasn't worked with uh, a couple of the other guys that they picked up for the Braves. That's an example that comes to mind. I do think with, with Eater and the White Sox, I do like a few things that the White Sox have done recently. I feel like they're doing a better job drafting recently. Recently, Colson Montgomery is a, uh, is one of the better young shortstop prospects in the game. First round pick a couple years ago. Noah Schultz is a definitely a name to watch. He's been one of the the more interesting young pitching prospects in class A this year. So they are showing at least some green shoots, some, you know, after a long fallow winter, they are having some, some guys kind of pop up a little bit, but that said the the good news with an eater is this is a guy who's, who's not as much a, uh, a project as he is. If the sliders back to what it was pre-injury, if the fastballs back to what it was pre-injury, you don't have to do a whole lot with him other than keep him healthy and move him on to the big leagues because he he went to Vanderbilt for multiple years. He already had success in double A pre-injury. So he's not that far away. Still some stuff to do, but it's different than if you're saying we're picking this guy up and he's uh, you know, heading to low A and we're gonna see how we develop him. Is that development? Is that development? Are you developing a player who's you just mentioned two first rounders? The Noah Schultz kid is six foot nine, two hundred and twenty pounds first rounder, like that's not developing. That's just giving them a place to play and that's, being like, hey, good luck. We'll see you in a year and a half. That's staying out of the way, uh, I guess is what you're saying, which is true in some ways. Like with Colson Montgomery, I'm sure they're doing some things with them, but yeah, at the same time, don't screw them up. Like I, I'll never forget uh, Dylan Bundy years ago and, and talking to scouts about Dylan Bundy coming out of high school. And it was like, I, I just hope that the Orioles don't screw them up. That was basically the thing. And then a couple of years later, it was like, I think the Orioles screwed them up. So yeah, some of these guys, we are talking about first round picks. Those cases, in some cases, it's more of don't screw them up. Okay, JJ, I've been excited to ask you about the Angels. They're going for it, even though nobody thinks they should. So did they give up a lot? Like we had Jim Bowden on yesterday and he goes, this decision to not just trade, uh, not just hold Shohei Otani, but to trade away what they have in a very weakly rated farm system 
could set them back another three, four, five years. Do you agree? Like, I know that these guys might not all be future superstars here, but they don't have much. Every team has to have prospects that are going to make it to the bigs and be contributors. Nothing against Edgar Cuero, nothing against Kai Bush. Those guys probably aren't going to be the guys that are the difference between the post-Otani Angels being successful or winning 65 games. Like, I think the... I think that the Angels farm system already, and I just lost my earbuds, so I'll keep rolling for a minute, but then I'm going to duck off to grab it because I can't hear you guys. But the the Angels, the post-Otani Angels, I don't think, assuming he leaves in free agency, they're not going to be one or two players away. They're going to be a lot of players away. And yes, this is thinning out what was already a very thin farm system. But that said, I kind of still think it makes a whole lot of sense. They are in it. Like, I, I mean, I do kind of think that, especially with the playoffs nowadays, we saw the Phillies last year, a chip and a chance, right? Like if you get in, especially if you get in and you have the best player in baseball on your team and you're getting hopefully Mike Trout back before too long, I don't think that trading, we had Cuero as a back of the top 100 prospect. Kai Bush was like a, Again, the type of prospect he gets traded every year, not like a a, a a star or anything like that, not a top 100 prospect. I just think that that's that's a relatively modest cost if it is if it ups the chances of the Angels making the playoffs this year because let's just be clear, it's bleak next year and the year after in LA if you're an Angels fan, if Otani leaves, whether you make these moves or not, at least now you've got a chance to have a you know, a, a shot at doing something this year. So who who do you think JJ is the best prospect that's moved? Like is, or just your favorite deal so far from what you've seen, it doesn't have to just be today. Obviously over the past week during trade deadline season, who have you looked at and said, Oh, I really like that guy. Right. So far I might say Acuna and it's close. Mm. Like, I mean, again, the thing, I wrote about this a little bit today at the Baseball America Live blog, which is the types of prospects, like we often hear things like, oh, you know, it's going to require two top 100 prospects. Well, let's just be clear. There's, when you say top 100 prospects, that's like saying, you know, we need a, you know, we're looking for a rotation help. Are you looking for front of the rotation help? Are you looking for back of the rotation help? Those are are very different. The, The thing I would say here is, is like, we're seeing so far this year, much like most years, you're not seeing the top, top prospects be traded. Now you're seeing, you hopefully will see a couple of second and third tier top hundred prospects traded. Last year, we saw that. The Soto deal, we saw Robert Hassel, we saw James Wood both get traded. Now prospects can get better. They can get worse. We've seen since that trade, James Wood has turned himself into one of the best prospects in the game. Robert Hassel is more kind of edging towards the back of the top hundred. Now he hasn't developed as much. So the thing I think that you have to, you know, we have to look at all these trades are a lot of these trades are the level of prospect that teams are generally more comfortable in, in, in giving away in a deal. Not only giving away, but trading away. You're seeing guys at the back of the hundred get traded. The Cueros, the Acunas. Again, Drew Gilbert's not on our top hundred, but he's not that different than Cuero or Acuna. You could say Clifford the same way. You're seeing though, these are the guys who, if it all breaks right, they turn into something. At the same time, I generally think, I, I know we cover prospects, but 
the prospect cost on most of these deals is relatively minor. I look at some of the moves that have made today, made yesterday, where you look at like a like the when Brad Hand goes to the Braves, it's an incredibly modest move. I'm not saying that that's going to, that's not Alex Anthopoulos doing what he did in 21, where he managed to rebuild an entire outfield and did it without giving away one player who in any way they regret trading away. None of them are still with the organizations when they got Soler, when they got Rosario, when they got Duvall, when they got Peterson. But they traded a non-top 30 prospect who's been Rule 5 eligible, will be Rule 5 eligible again after the season, and they got a veteran reliever who will fit right into their bullpen back. I, To me, if I'm a fan of a team that does nothing at the deadline, that does have to be frustrating because the cost of lengthening your bullpen, the cost of adding a platoon bat, things like that are is year in year out exceedingly modest. Yes, Jordan Alvarez was traded for Josh Fields a long time ago. It does happen. Yes, Fernando Tatis Jr. for James Shields. It does happen, but usually it's like, oh yeah, I can't even remember what we traded away last year to get that veteran who helped us because generally it's 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 fourth fifth tier prospects if you're willing to take on salary. Tigers and Dodgers fans now. The Eduardo Rodriguez trade was together. I would love you to write a book about all the prospects that were supposed to be in deals that never happened. But give us an idea of what what would Eduardo Rodriguez have gotten back in you know in a comparable type of trade. Oh, that that would be a uh, a move that again right, the rumors are that it was a uh, you know it probably would have been multiple players. It probably again from a, one of the best farm systems in baseball. Like that would have made a difference for the Tigers. Now. I'll be interested to see if they end up turning around and trading him somewhere else. But if you told me that that the Rodriguez return would be a back of the top 100 prospect or a couple of guys who aren't too far away from that, wouldn't shock me at all. And especially you look at the Dodgers, the Dodgers would be able to give up a young but close to the big leagues ready pitcher. They have a ton of them. They had the best rotation in the minors we've seen in a long time in Tulsa earlier this year. So if they gave up, one of those guys, a Kyle Hurt, uh, you know, a, a guy like that, River Ryan, guy like that. We're talking about a guy who's probably on the Dodgers starting pitching depth chart, like their fourth, fifth, sixth best pitching prospect in their organization. But that guy would immediately become one of the best prospects in the Tigers organization. If again, in the in this theoretical deal, that will never happen. Like it would have made a difference for the Tigers. I have to imagine Detroit now goes and tries to figure out somewhere else to send them because. Eduardo Rodriguez does not help Detroit by sticking around in Detroit nearly as much as he helps them if they can get something significant in return. Let's finish with a fan question, a team that we often kind of playfully say we don't cover a ton, although we've, we've gotten them a little more love lately. It's their time of year and they're going to disappear again into thin air for the next couple months. Elias says thoughts on the Rockies prospects that they've been getting in trades and, and also can make it bigger picture on if you see the vision in terms of the farm system and where you've got them on, on baseball America's list right now, because I mean, they're not good on the field, right? There's a few young ball players that have shown flashes, right? And Ryan McMahon's a good ball player. Tovar's having a pretty good year. Um, there is not much else to get really excited about. They just traded away Grichik and Crone. And if you didn't love Kai Bush and Cuero, I don't think the prospects the Rockies are getting back in that secondary deal from the Angels is going to make much of a difference. So no. seeing your facial expressions basically just answered Elias's question. So 
I, to go back to what I was saying, the prospect cost in these moves, especially when you're adding like the, the Crohn's and, and Grichik's of the world is generally pretty modest. It's not surprising that Colorado didn't get a whole lot there, but no, uh, they didn't. I, we do like their system. Like they have a number of kind of interesting guys coming up. I feel like that they are doing a decent job as far as, uh, you know, to go back to development guys who weren't always first round picks who end up having, uh, you know, especially I think on the international market, I think they've done pretty well in recent years as far as, uh, you know, an Adiel Amador, for example, or guys like that. But that said, it's really, I, I, if you're a Rockies fan, I'm sorry. I, I don't have a whole lot of explanation for how Colorado gets from where they are now to being better than the Dodgers who are a juggernaut who spend a lot more money and have a better farm system or the giants who spend a lot more money and have a better big league roster. And again, do all do, you know, like produce the Patrick Bailey this year, guys like that, or the D backs who have one of the best young nucleuses out there with bringing up a Corbin Carroll still have some guys in the, in the minor leagues as well. The pot and the Padres, Again, we don't know what the Padres are going to do in this last hour, you know, 45 minutes, 30 minutes or whatever. But the Padres who, again, show much more willingness to spend money and have still more as many impact talent, you know, prospects in the system, even if they don't have the depth of, of talent they have in the system as Colorado does. It's not a, it's not a pretty picture. They're in a very tough division and generally they, uh, They've they've struggled to compete in that division to some level, understandingly, but you know, understandably, but at the same time, if you're in the division with the Dodgers, you're gonna have to do a lot really well to compete with the Dodgers. And Colorado's struggled to do that in what the last five years. End scene. And they disappeared. We lost them again. No more Rockies. We'll see you guys. They Unless they trade like a white dove. We'll see you in twenty. 20- 89. Hey, JJ, great to catch up with you as always. So let's bring in Mark Bowman from MLB, who covers the Atlanta Braves on a daily basis. Mark, great to have you on here. We'll get into the Braves, but you see plenty of Mets. What do you think of what just went down and what's been going on with the Mets over the past week? Well, I mean, I I think we saw it coming, you know, for the last couple of months, but at the same time, when it, when it, when it happens and, and, and they do trade both these guys, uh, Scherzer and Verlander. I, I know there's probably a little bit of shock, but at the same time, this made perfect sense. I mean, the, they they made the mistake to, of signing these guys that you you signed guys who were you know in their upper thirties and uh, you know or in, and in their forties and, and all of a sudden expect them to be difference makers. Uh, you got to pay the price. So at least they're they're um, you know trying to fix. What went wrong, you know, during the off season or the past two off seasons? So, um, you know, you got to give them credit. They're they're not just uh, sitting on that. But at the same time, yeah, that this division looked much different than any of us expected at the beginning of the year and even at the beginning of June. I think they came in here. Uh, the Mets came into Atlanta three games out or four games out, and now here they sit, you know, eighteen games out or whatever. So, uh, it's certainly. Uh, you know, what, what what looked like it might be a very interesting race between three teams uh, right now. You know, the Braves are, um, you know, have run away with it, it. But at the same time, it's not just the Mets. You, you have to wonder what the, if the Phillies are going to make any kind of charge or, you know, maybe the Marlins, but probably not. Are the Braves sitting here going, <laughs> we don't even have to be part of this. Let's just let everyone else beat each other up and we'll just 
continue to do what we're doing for the next seven years of team control of everybody. <laughs> I mean, the one thing about it is, and by the way, who's who's that dude with the hat on backwards over there in the gray t-shirt? He, he never, never comes, talks. He never he never oh. comes on when you're on. He always he was. Gonna I thought we out. had <laughs> I thought we had Dave O'Brien on. That's why I stayed. <laughs> I got confused. I was told they lied to me. And they said Dave O'Brien was coming on. And instead, I look up and it's Mark Bowman. What the hell's happening? I you guys know, lied to me. They, were, they told me they were like, they're like, you can come and talk to Eric Kretz and 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 then also uh, your favorite White Sox and Braves catcher, you know, guy got for both the Tyler and Flowers. Said, and I expected to see Tyler Flowers. Here. <laughs> <laughs> AJ, what do you got? But anyhow, let's get back soon. to the question. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, you, you had said what, what was it you said about? Uh, just what are they just kind of sitting on it for the next seven years? I mean, look, I mean, what they learned from last year, we're, we're reminded last year was, yeah, they had a great team last year. All of a sudden, Max Fried gets sick, uh, loses 15 pounds over the last, you know, week of the regular season. Spencer Strider, um, you know, tears his or strange as oblique, whatever you want to say. Um, he's not healthy. I mean, it, they got to have what they're doing right now is just trying to build that pitching depth uh, to be able to. So, you know, maybe fill any voids down the stretch. But more importantly, a couple years ago, 2021, they, that big trade deadline haul, they got Soler and Duvall and Rosario and, and Jock Peterson. Well, one of the biggest or most influential guys was Richard Rodriguez, who didn't even make the postseason roster. But the fact he came in and eight innings for two months, um, that, that that really helped guys like Will Smith and AJ Mentor and Luke Jackson. They you know they were they were fresh heading into October, and that's that's when they, they became the night shift and and really had such a uh, played a key role in them winning that World Series. Bo, what are the Braves? The Braves are just trying to retool their bullpen right now, right? Because they got my boy Brad Hand today. They they made some minor moves, smaller not minor moves, but smaller than the huge moves. So they're ret- trying to retool the bullpen, obviously. And then when can we expect Freed, Wright, all these guys to come back and solidify? Listen, it ain't like the Braves are struggling. I mean, they just hit home run and bash you to death. But when they get Freed and Wright and all these guys back, can you tell us when they're coming back? Yeah, Freed will be back this week, and I would expect Friday. It could be Saturday, but fr- Friday or Saturday at Wrigley, he'll he'll be back. So all indications are that the it was a left forearm strain which is never good to hear but you know after sitting uh resting for two months and going through uh the rehab process it looks like you know he's in good shape heading back uh you know it, it doesn't seem like that that's going to be a lingering issue uh as for right the other day he threw his first bullpen i said okay how many more and he said maybe two or three more bullpens then you get to live vp i said okay that sounds like mid-september he said I'm still hoping for early September. Well, the only way he's coming back for early September is if he goes through those rehab appearances and maybe pitches two innings here and three innings here, and then they activate him. Um, He's not going to stretch out to be a starter if he's, if he's going to be back in early September. So that's another guy who could influence the bullpen down the stretch and maybe into the postseason. That's, that's probably a long shot. I don't think that's something you depend on, but it, but it is an option as for the guys that they, they, Acquired here late. They added Pierce Johnson last last week from the Rockies. He had a good outing again last night. Three strikeouts in a scoreless inning. Ed Bradhand, here's a guy who he still gets lefties out. Um, you know, the ro- home and road splits weren't that much different in Colorado this year, but the, he does get lefties out. 
And if you put him in the right role in this bullpen where you, you can match up against, uh, you know, the, the right guys and in different parts of the lineup, he doesn't have to be, you know, um, that eighth or ninth inning guy. You know, he can just be – you can use him anywhere from the sixth through the eighth innings uh, against left-handers. I think he can be much more valuable here. He has been a little bit better since the All-Star break. They have Dylan Lee, another big left-hander who's coming back. If nothing else, Hand provides some insurance just in case Dylan Lee's shoulder isn't right when he comes back. You got Nick Anderson and Jesse Chavez who could come back sometime. Maybe I'm guessing, well, Nick Anderson can't come back till September because he's on a 60 day. Chavez will be available second half of August. They may wait till the rosters expand for that. But they, there is some bullpen depth there. Uh, as for the rotation, uh, they're fifth starters. They went and got Chirinos last week. He's, yeah, he, he didn't really impress the, the other day in, in his Atlanta debut, but at the same time, he did have a, season you know he did miss more bats than he had in any of his previous appearances with the Rays uh this year so you got him you got Michael Soroka you got AJ Smith Schauber um you got Jared Schuster you got a, you got some depth there that, that you can either mix and match in that fifth spot going forward you know over the rest of the season or hey look Alex could use some of that depth in, before six o'clock and and try to get you know just one more dependable starter but uh uh, he he does have the options because he has acquired some of these guys over the last couple, last week or so. So you mentioned everybody on their 40-man roster, but <laughs> I want to know what is the one area of need? The one area, the most glaring, they don't – because you're not even talking about a, a like starting position or somebody that even plays in the game. You're just talking about backup position. What is the, what is the least – what is the least depth – yeah, let's just go from a start starting position. If there was one area of concern, okay, last, this past weekend you might have said left field, okay. Eddie Rosario had had a sensational June. He had dipped a little bit here in July. He's hit a little bit more uh, over the last few days. The biggest thing with, with Eddie, I think you can go ahead and live with his bat and, and ride the highs and lows. The one thing I wish that, that Brian Snicker would do more often is, is just take him out of the game in the seventh inning, put Pilar out there. Um, you know, there, there's no reason to, to have Eddie Rosario's game influence and, uh, you know, the, the outcome of game over the last two or three innings. You know, even if, if you're ahead behind whatever, I think Kevin Pilar's bat is enough, unless you know, you know, obviously the next inning it's a it's going to be a right-handed versus left-handed matchup. Uh, but for the most part, I think you do that. Uh, and then, you know, Marcelo Zuna, he, he had kind of – he quieted down for a little while, but then all of a sudden he had four homers and ten – at bats this past weekend against the, the Brewers. So it's hard to find a, a hole in that lineup as well. But if if you were looking for something, maybe just adding another uh, bat out there, uh, outfield bat there in left field. Hey, Mark, what do you think of the possibility of an Acuna versus Acuna matchup coming up in the not-so-distant future as Luis Angel was acquired by the Mets, right? So with yeah. the Mets, and we'll get into it again right after we talk to you, now filling out what we know from that deal, <clears throat> they've added a lot of prospects over the last week or so as they try and catch the Braves in the long term and not just let this team dominate the division like they've been doing already for the past half decade. But Acuna specifically, do you know much about Luis Angel? You've spoken to Ronald about him. They're definitely different prospects. I know that, right? Like even yeah. when Ronald was coming up, Luis Angel has not shown much power, but he's very athletic and he's going to be an infielder mostly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's they are completely different players. I mean, Robert 
Robert, I said Ronald, uh, you know, very high on his brother, you know, says he's, he's going to be uh, all this. It's not like back when the Contreras brothers were coming up and, and Wilson was saying that, uh, you know, that his, his younger brother was going to have more power than him and all that kind of stuff. I think it's, it's, it's more, um, I think he has a chance to be a very good player. I, I don't know if we're going to say he's going to be, if, if the feeling is he's going to uh, be that, you know, pretty all-star selection, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it will be fun. I, you know, I do think he's going to be a regular big leaguer for a while. And uh, those games, that's just going to add to that Braves and Mets rivalry. Mark, great to have you on. I was going to say, Bo, go have a hot dog and a smack Frenchie for me. <laughs> and then also tell Snit when you go down to see him, thanks for getting Charlie Culberson that one at bat this year. I mean, it means a lot. <laughs> you know, he finally got in a game. He got that one at bat. I told him when I saw him before, just get him in for one. And he got one at bat. So tell Snit thank you. I wonder if they got when Nicky Lopez showed up here the other day. He said, "Hey, by the way, just go ahead and relax. We might get you in a bat over the next." One. <laughs> <laughs> Nicky Lopez is a great dude, so he will be fine, right? Like he will obviously he wants to play, but that, that was smart. You have to get. I will say, you have to get players that are okay doing that. Like that, you're like, hey, dude, you may not play for a month. A lot of dudes will bitch and moan. I know that from from talking to you guys. So, Mark, great to have you on, man. We'll we'll catch All you right, again guys. soon. Okay. Take care. Thanks. Uh, what a damn day. Let's recap it for one minute as we slap them hands. All right. Well, first off, happy birthday, Adam Jones. I think, mm-hmm. he, I think he's back with us tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. So, Jonesy, happy birthday, baby. And let's clap it up for the crew behind the scenes. We did a long one today. That was really fun. The YouTube live, I think, peaked close to a thousand people concurrent. So, and and really consistently getting a great group watching us throughout and answered as many questions as we could. Again, so we are one to three Eastern weekdays live foul territory, breaking down whatever's going on in baseball news and talking to players and writers and insiders and all of that. One to two on Stadium, including their their YouTube channel, all free ninety nine, and then on Foul Territories uh, YouTube channel from two to three, and then all the clips and podcasts, all that you can see afterwards. So, what a and damn gotta, what a damn I day! Gotta, oh, I got Adam shout Jones out on the next three days, by the way, the Wednesday, next. Thursday, Friday for Jonesy. Can't wait to hear what he has to say about the Orioles' big big moves at the deadline. As he was spraying spraying the fans down with water, he might to spray the flames of this hot stove that was just going on in Baltimore. Yeah. Nothing. Like, save some trades for everyone else. I got to give a big shout-out to Scotty B. Scotty B went all – Scoot Brown went all five hours and 40 minutes in this seat, along with the people in, in behind the scenes. You guys killed it. I got to listen to the first hour. I got to be here. Scotty B has the largest bladder of all time to be able to last this long and – the amazing amount of coffee that he drinks too. <laughs> not as much as I wanted to today. I did not bring as much coffee as I needed to, but thank you. Thanks everyone behind the scenes. Um, thank you everyone for watching and for participating in the chat. You can follow us on all our socials and everything else. Uh, back on Wednesday, one o'clock Eastern time. I'll be here with Todd father. Jonesy will be on. We'll get AJ's thoughts afterward. We'll see you again. Monday, Monday, Monday baby. Our grinder, Eric Kratz, with us. You did almost as much as I did. You did one hour shy of me. Yeah, but you you had the whole thing. You're a champ. You're a champ. 
And then there were two. And then we're out. We will see you on Wednesday on FT Live. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.